eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Time for another Dogman Radio. Spring football is going to sneak up on us before we know it. Basketball team with a big win against Oregon and uh, wrap up some recruiting stuff that's going on this weekend as well as Scott will be heading out of town. So we'll finish up with that. But, uh, you know, spring football right around the corner. We've done started doing some of the spring previews to look ahead and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, content coming up before spring football. And there's just a lot going to be interesting with that because. With this new coaching staff, we haven't had a lot of time with them or the players, so spring football is definitely going to be interesting this year. And we started off this week with the preview of the quarterback position, which I think is going to be the talk of spring training. It's just up in the air. Everybody is looking at Michael Penix, uh, two-year starter, and Dylan Morris, and the five-star recruit, and Sam Heward. This is going to be a close battle, I think, all all season, all spring football, Chris. It is. There's no doubt about it. And and they wouldn't have brought in a guy like Michael Penix if they didn't feel comfortable that he was going to raise the level of competition and make those guys, you know, fight their butts off. Because, you know, as we know, last year, um, you know, Patrick O'Brien, it certainly looked like he had found his place and he was really pushing guys. But at the end of the day, the the, the coaches just never used him. And so we're always kind of left wondering, could he have made a difference? Could he have provided a spark maybe in some of those situations. So I think it's going to be really, really interesting to just not only see how they use the quarterbacks, but just in general, how the offensive coaches are going to be, um, you know, implementing their style, how they're going to run practices, for instance, because we saw a couple different things that the old offensive staff did that I thought were actually really, really smart in terms of running back-to-back things so they could almost run like four lines um, within a certain period, for instance. Um you know, so so there's there's obviously going to be all that stuff, but I think honestly, you know, because we start with the offensive guys, we start with the quarterbacks and the receivers and running backs, and I think that's going to be the biggest intrigue for fans, simply because the the changeover in concepts and the changeover in philosophy is going to be so different. I think Scott, when we get out there uh, for the first uh, practice for spring ball, I think the thing that is really going to be striking is what do these guys look like on the hoof. How big is Michael Penix? You know, Sam Heward showed up here at less than 180 pounds, and I'm being told he's over 200 pounds now. Does Dylan Morris look like the same guy, or has he put on some additional weight? But I think that's going to be the first thing that we really notice, uh, Scott. 
Yeah, it always is. You always want to see what guys look like after. I mean, it's the, fir- the first day or two of camp is, is of spring ball and then of fall camp are when you want to get a look at what the guys did over the off season during, during their winter conditioning. How has it panned out for them? How are they looking? Um, and then in the fall, you want to see how they did over the summer and how have they improved their bodies? How have they, how have they, you know, sculpted, the, sculpted themselves and what size they've added and things like that. You know, the quarterback spot, you don't necessarily want guys to be 240 pounds unless that's really in their natural size, you know, like a, like a Cam Newton or something like that. You want guys to be in, you know, probably in that 215, 210, 220 range in there. And, uh, you know, Michael Penix, I, you know, I was just looking him up. I, I think he's somewhere in the, what, 215, 220 pounds, somewhere in that, that range. Yeah. He's listed at 6'3, 218. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of fun watching. And, and one thing that a lot of people have talked about is two left handers in this on the same roster you know it it, that doesn't happen very often and so um you know watching those two and how they call the game as as opposed to maybe uh with dylan out there is it called different do you have some different calls do are is the guy who plays left tackle for um for you on when with a right hander the same guy you keep out there for left-handers because the blind side is completely the opposite side. So really kind of whoever ends up being the starter at quarterback, and we all kind of think it's going to be Michael Penix, but it all has to kind of play out. You know, it's going to be real interesting to see how things are adjusted with the offense. Well, hey, and this, quick, though, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sold on Penix being the guy that's instantly penciled in as, as the starter. Um, I, to be honest with you, I think that, you know, I'm kind of taking my cues from Jake Hayner and, and what Jake Hayner was able to do and, and what the coaches are looking for in a quarterback that could be a Jake Hayner type guy because we all know Jake Hayner was set to come to Washington until things broke down and then he decided to stay at Fresno to, to play under Jeff Tedford. So when I look at a guy like Jake, Jake Hayner, I'm looking at who is the guy on the staff right now who closely resembles Jake Hayner in terms of style, size, ability, escapability, elusiveness, making decisions, has that gunslinger type mentality. And to me, that screams Dylan Morris, but I don't know how you guys feel about it. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call Dylan Morris a gunslinger, you know, in, in any stretch. I think he's got some, I think he's got some of those traits. I think he tends to be more conservative, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, I think that was stressed to him was, you know, decision making and ball security and not turning it over. But the other thing is, and you can say this about every position on the team and every player on the team last year, everything was just so dysfunctional last year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's hard to really take anything from anything or any performance from last year. So I think, you know, with this new staff and the new offensive philosophy, it's going to, you know, re-energize everybody. And the competition is going to be fierce, especially at the quarterback position. And I I, I think that I it's safe to say that you take those three quarterbacks, would it surprise me if either one of them was the starting quarterback? Not at all. I think he, I think there's a case to be made for each one of those guys. Absolutely. There, I think no you're right about that. Yeah, yeah there's I no agree. question about that. I, I would say just by on the way, when was when was the last time you could say that there was three quarterbacks and you just had no clue who the starter was going to be? Does it go back to Jake Browning and uh, Lindquist? 
No, well, uh, I, th- I think you could. I think you could say Lindquist and Siler Miles, maybe. Yeah, that that was a lot closer. But the only thing I would say is I think it's it's as much the philosophy and the new staff coming in that has added that extra layer of uncertainty. Um, you know, if Lake was still the coach and a, a Michael Penix had decided to come anyway, you know, hypothetically. You know, we would still, would we still be thinking that, that he's got as much of a chance as a guy who is the incumbent? I don't know. I mean, it, you know, who was, who was the guy that was running the, the, you know, Donovan's offense before if we assumed Donovan was back? But obviously we couldn't because he got fired before the season was over. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's, weird. It's just weird. I don't know. I just, to me, I, the gunslinger thing is a pejorative. I, I don't understand why it's always seen as a negative thing. To me, I think that's a positive quality. As long as you understand how to rein it in. And Scott, I think the big question too is we just don't know the answer to how hard is this offense to pick up? I mean, Michael Penix yeah. has got an obviously a head start on it, but how hard is it is, you know, when we talk about the spread, it's such an easy offense to pick up. How difficult would this offense be to pick up? Yeah, I, I don't know if you can say that we know one way or the other, whether it's going to be easier or hard. One thing I will say is from everything that I've seen and watching things and watching some of the analysis of uh, Fresno State's offense that uh, have been online or reading about it or looking at Indiana back when uh, DeBoer was there, you know, a lot of people say that it's quarterback friendly. Okay, well, if it's if it's quarterback friendly, does that mean it's easy, or does that mean that he has twenty options that he can do? And because the quarterback, you know, that he can take advantage of, and and is that that because the quarterback was able to process things faster, or is it because they just made it super easy? I I don't know. I don't think we can say that we know at this point. And so I think a lot of it's going to come down to. Um, you know, let's, let's be honest. Michael Penix is going to start with probably a little bit of a lead when you just talk about familiarity with the offense and playing games in college football. Dylan Morris has played in 16 games or 15 games and, and Sam Heward is, has played in three, but really only played one that he actually took multiple snaps in. So, uh, you know, Penix has played in 20 games and he's actually, uh, played in a few more than that. He's got 20 starts. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be real interesting to see who's making the throws, who's playing with confidence, who's thinking a little bit too much, who's taking maybe a little too much time to process things and, and how things come out. So, um, you know, going back to the, the gunslinger thing, I think, uh, Chris, at least in my mind, Sam Heward has a little bit more of the gunslinger than, than Dell Morris. I, I agree with Kim that Dylan was a little more conservative, but part of that was because of what he grew up in in high school and the offense he ran there. And then the offense and the way Jimmy Lake and John Donovan just pounded yeah. it into his head. Absolutely. So, so I think one of the reasons why uh, Sam Heward threw four picks in the, in the Apple Cup was partly because that game was just destined to be a runaway for Washington State, but it was also because he took chances with the ball that maybe Dylan Morris might not have. So that's well, kind of where I stand. Right. And I, and I don't disagree with that. I would absolutely say that Sam Heward has, has, has some gunslinger type, uh, traits about him. I think both do. I just, I don't think that it's, if you say someone's a gunslinger, they have to be A, B, and C. It could also be X, Y, and Z. I think it's just different ways to approach it. Hey, Chris, of- the first the first time we go out to you know uh, spring ball and the, you know the number ones go out there, 
whoever that number one quarterback is, does it really mean anything? No, it doesn't mean much. And, and, and like I said, even though I think Dylan Morris might have a little bit of a head start in terms of just being comfortable being at Montlake, you know, that's something that, that, you know, people have to think about with Penix. He's learning how to live at Washington now. He's, he's learning how to live in Seattle, how to, how to, you know, socialize and integrate and those types of things. That, that stuff takes time. I mean, that's not something where you just step in right away. But if you wanted to make an argument for Penix, I would say, to me, it's not necessarily even the, the veteran type stuff. To me, obviously, it's his comfort level with DeBoer personally. Clearly, they have a rapport. Clearly, they have an understanding. And there's an intuition there where they kind of understand what's going on with each other. But with the offenses, I mean, Dylan Morris played in a multiple offense under Chris Peterson before Lake and Donovan. And Sam Heward got all that kind of spread type teaching with with Coach Cross at Kennedy Catholic. So it's not like these guys don't have some education and some experience in a spread system or a multiple system or something that's going to look a lot different than the pro style system that they were running last year. So I think, again, this is where it's, uh, to me, very much an even race. And I think you could, as we've talked about, make our good arguments for all three of them. And Scott, what I, I'm going to find intriguing is who does take that first snap, the who takes the second reps, and who takes the third reps. And I think that might tell us something about the coaching style. Is it going to be Michael Penix and then Dylan Morris is it, and then Sam Heward? Or is he going to just put it in the order? Michael Penix is the new guy. You know, Dylan Morris is the incumbent and make Dylan Morris, then Sam Heward, and then Michael Penix. And I, I think that could maybe speak a little bit to how this coaching staff is going to run things from here on out. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I put out my, uh, the quarterbacks preview and I put out the pre-screen depth, depth chart as I see it, I think Dylan Morris is the guy who takes reps with the first, with the first unit. Doesn't mean, like we've said earlier, it doesn't really mean anything. But, um, I, I think Dylan Morris is probably the guy who takes the reps with the first team offense in the first practice. Um, I have, uh, Sam Heward third and I have Michael Penick second. But like you said, Kim, it doesn't really matter right now. I mean, it's just, Every guy is going to get reps through with the first team, with the second team, with the third team. Every guy is going to get reps through with those. And then maybe that's maybe in the first couple of weeks. And then maybe in the third week, maybe a guy has earned a few more days with the second team and the third team guy um, hasn't played very well or isn't picking stuff up as quickly. And so they're, they're relegated to third team duty until they show that they deserve to move up and get more reps with the second and third and first team. So, you know, just it's going to be, interesting the way they have to rotate it because usually you know what you'd really love is if you have a veteran guy coming back like a dylan morris that he's already established and you say hey we've got these other two guys the our, our number one player is our number one quarterback is dylan morris he's played for two seasons he's been our two he's been our starter for two straight years um let's let's let him do most of the get most of the first team reps but maybe uh every once in a while we'll we'll move in Sam Heward or maybe every now and then we'll move in uh Michael Penix but because that isn't the case I think they need to give every guy a shot with the first unit just to kind of see what he can do the other thing that I find real interesting Chris is when you take a look at last year's staff and even the staff the year before who's the quarterback coach who worked with the quarterbacks and then compare it to who's working with the quarterbacks this year I think that's really intriguing it is only because the the guy who is the quarterbacks coach actually worked with quarterbacks last year, so that's new. It feels it feels new. Um, 
And, and what's more ironic is that Ryan Grubb, actually his, his foundation really is in the offensive line. So how much is he going to have one eye focused on the guys that he's literally working with in the quarterbacks, but also might have one eye over at Scott Huff and kind of seeing, you know, how that, that offensive line is progressing with the new, uh, types of schemes and the new types of things that they're going to be trying to teach those guys as well. So, uh, that's going to be interesting. The, the only thing I would add to this quarterback discussion, guys, is, and I, and I'm, trust me, I am not joking when I tell you this, that fourth quarterback and trying to see how much Camden Sermon has developed, I think that's huge. Because, you know, we talk about the three quarterbacks and three quarterbacks should be enough. But man, you just never ever know. And having that fourth guy, especially if he can be a scout team demon, and we saw how much Camden Sermon was able to move the offense a little bit in spring and fall last year. I really like to see how much he's progressed and he could be a, a I'm not saying he could be a secret weapon. I'm not saying he could be an X factor type of guy, but I'm very curious how much he's going to be involved in this mix. Then you go over to the wide receivers and take a look at, uh, who they've got to throw to, and there were a lot of rumors, guys leaving, but uh, they seem to have kept the wide receiver class mostly intact. They lost Sawyer Racanelli, but uh, and they lost Terrell Bynum, but you know they got Jalen McMillan back. They did. They did get. They get did get some important guys back because we had heard Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunsey, and Jalen Polk could all leave too, but uh, you left one off that's frustrated everybody. The kid from. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, the kid who signed and was right. set to enroll and decided to unenroll. Hmm, I wonder if something weird was happening there after he signed his letter of intent. Anyway, that being said, uh, you know, getting Jalen McMillan back, getting Romo Dunsey back, getting, um, uh, Jalen Polk back, getting Taj Davis back, all those guys. Taj Davis was never going to leave, but those other three had opportunities to leave and they decided to stay. And I think that's because uh, Kalen DeBoer really got in there and, and said, Hey, I've got a coach that I'm bringing in and that's Jamarcus Shepard. And I mean, that guy is going to be huge for court, for wide receiver development, wide receiver recruiting. And I think he's going to really help. I had nothing against Junior Adams. I think he's an okay coach. I don't think he's as bad as some people were saying he is, but I don't think he's as great as some of us thought he was going to be. And, uh, but Jamarcus Shepard has proven over time, to be a guy who can go out and recruit and then develop top and wide receivers. Rondale Moore, I mean, Rondale Moore was electric. He was lightning in a bottle. But he turned him into, I don't know what round he was taking, what, third round? He ended up being taken in the third round, a guy who's like 5'9 and 180 pounds. You know, I mean, it's he's a really good coach. And, and he's got uh, another guy. He's got a, another guy coming through right now, David Bell, yeah, who, that, worked out, who worked yeah. out yesterday. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot to be excited about with this group. But the fact, Kim, that you mentioned Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunsey, Jalen Polk, those are all playmakers. Those are all guys who can be big-time contributors in Washington's offense. And what I'm going to be interested to see, and we, we talked about it with the quarterbacks, how they're going to rotate through, is where these these coaches have them lining up. Because Washington's going to have three wide receiver sets, I would say – I mean, what what would you say they did three wide receiver sets with Donovan here? Maybe 25, 30% of the time? Yeah, probably usually, a third. If you're usually or in 12 or 13 personnel a lot of the time. And, and so, if they were doing, yeah. if they were doing those, a lot of times it was bunch. Yeah. And, and so what I'm interested to see is now that you're going 60% of the time, you have a wide, you have, uh, three wide receivers on the field. Who's lining up where is, I think Jalen McMillan's a perfect X. 
and I think Romo Dunsey's a perfect uh Y. And the the difference is the X receiver is the guy who um is usually on the uh open side of the formation, whereas uh the other uh the Y is the one that lines up usually on the side of the tight end or the slot guy. But then out of the slot, is it gonna be Giles Jackson again or is it gonna be Jalen Polk? Jalen Polk did really well at Texas Tech his freshman year, the one year he did play, twenty twenty, uh with Texas Tech. And he did really well out of that spot. So is he a guy who's going to move inside? Lots of moving parts, lots of different body types, and it's going to be kind of fun to watch the way Shepard uh, moves those guys around. Well, when you take a look at the guys that Shepard has developed, you know, uh, along the way, he always seems to have that Giles Jackson kind of guy. That's you know jitterbug, you know scat kind of guy that they can give the ball um, on the reverse and on the fly sweep and you know find his way up the middle. But they've always seemed to have that guy, and there hasn't been a lot of talk about Giles Jackson, who may be you know one of the fastest guys on the team. He might be, but I don't think he played the fastest. You know, there's there's guys who have the straight line speed, but are they football fast? And I just didn't see the explosiveness out of Giles Jackson I was hoping to see. I hope we see that this year. I hope he's unleashed a little bit more. I don't know about him as a wide receiver. I see him as a utility guy and then a punt and kick returner. I think he's better suited not to be a feature wide receiver kind of guy. But, uh, you know, the Huskies will do their best to figure out a way to use him. He's talented. He's got the, He's got skills that you like. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's at least a notch or two below those guys. Plus, I think you could probably throw in Taj Davis and even Jabez today, who didn't play last year, but Jabez is a very polished receiver coming out of high school. I think, I think he's behind those guys, in my opinion. I think he's the shiftiest guy on the roster, but hey, Scott, you're going to be doing a lot of recruiting stuff and being, going to a lot of camps and doing a lot of networking and interacting with a lot of guys. But I just wanted to, you know, I don't know if you're hearing the same thing I'm hearing, but, I mean, I keep on talking to guys who've met Marcus Shepard. Jamarcus, yeah. And Jamarcus. The two words that keep coming up with him, real deal. Yeah, yeah. No, I I fully agree with that. And one thing, um, there's a kid who's coming up. He's actually going to be up here this weekend. Uh, His name is Treshawn Lyons. And he said Coach Shepard told him that he wanted to offer him, but he wants to offer him in person. And why is that? Because we're showing you what we're offering you, okay? And what he means by that is we're showing you how great Washington is and why getting an offer from Washington, you're not just getting a football scholarship offer. You're getting all of this, all of this university, all of that the things that that uh, this this school um, represent, and also the NIL opportunities and all of the business and post football career opportunities that you're going to have as well. So um, I, I found that kind of interesting. It, I, I hadn't ever heard that. It was very unique. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's a special coach. Uh, the players, from what I've heard, all seem to like him. And and he's hard. He's a hard ass. He gets on, on guys pretty good. But he also is is a guy who puts his arm around you and, and coaches you and doesn't just yell at you and tell you to go figure it out. And, and Chris, the guy that I'm uh, most interested to keep an eye on um, – the guy that I think has the most upside of anybody in the room, and we'll see what he looks like and see how he performs in this new offense. I think Rome Odunzi, to me, of the entire room, is the most interesting guy to keep an eye on. Well, in terms of, yeah, it's just in terms of raw physicality and potential, there's no question that Rome Odunzi is the guy that immediately pops up, and you take notice of that guy. Because when you're, you know, when you're 6'3", you're 200 pounds, you're going to stand out in a crowd anyways, especially when we're talking about those jitterbug types who are more 
you know, kind of 5'9", 180, 185 type guys too. So um, there's no question. And he, and he prides himself on being a, a supreme athlete. Um, you know, knowing that he could be arguably one of the fastest guys on the team, um, at being 6'3, 200 pounds is saying something. So there's no doubt that you've got that potential. What I'm, what I'm kind of curious about too is, you know, we talk about the inclusion now of Junior Alexander coming back up from yeah. Arizona State and you pair him up with Jabez today. And it's like, wow, you know, now you got the Kennedy connection with Sam Heward. You know, is, is Jamarcus Shepard going to be more inclined to do these hockey? shift style things where you bring in pairs of guys or or trios of guys in certain packages that just seem to fit well together because we saw it last year with Terrell Bynum um and and Roma Dunzi and Jalen McMillan basically being that lead trio and that I think a large large largely that had to do with the fact that Jalen Polk was out due to injury. But now are we gonna see Polk and McMillan and Odunzi being that new trio of guys, it certainly seems on paper that that would make the most sense. But again, you've got Tanae, you've got Junior Alexander nipping on his heels, you got Taj Davis nipping on their heels, you got all sorts of guys coming through. So we'll see what happens with that. Denzel Boston, I mean, I don't, you know, if there's a if there's a position out there in college football where a freshman can make an immediate impact, Scott, you were talking about Rondale Moore, freshman All American. Um, Denzel Boston, I'm not saying he could be a freshman All American, but I'm saying. We'll see. Let's see if he can make an impact on this roster. Definitely something to keep an eye on when you talk about the hockey shift type types of guys. You know, guys come in on certain packages if they're going to run certain plays. They bring in certain, you know, tight ends, wide receivers. But, you know, let's move on to the running backs because I think they're loaded at running back. I think they it was an incredibly underperforming group last year, and there was a lot of reasons behind that. But, uh, you know, there's some guys definitely to be excited about, you know, just starting off with, uh, you know, Richard Newton, who, I don't know, just, uh, there was just so many things that went wrong last year, but I gotta believe that Richard Newton is a lot better than what we saw last year. Well, well yeah, well, you'd hope so. Yeah. I mean, just remember though, Richard Newton won't be playing in spring ball though. Right. right. So. I mean, you know, he's, you know, obviously missed the end of the end of the season starting in, the after the UCLA game, he only played in four games. You know, it's obviously been a very, very difficult couple of years for Rich because obviously, you know, with the COVID season, you can only play four games anyways, but he still only played really in two games. Um, it was just kind of a difficult situation for him in 2020. And then this, this last year was supposed to be the bounce back year and it just did not end up, you know, turning out the way I'm sure that he would have wanted to. So, I think to be honest with you, when I wrote this, this preview up guys, one of the things that I really wanted to harp on in terms of a theme is motivation. And you got to think when you, you know, Kim, you mentioned it in your lead there. The, the key word is underperformed. This, that, that group of, of talented guys for as good a group as that is. And, and Keith Bonifaz is a good coach. I mean, you know, we're talking about a lot of guys that he's, that he's put in the league and we're looking at two of them right now and, in um in Savon Ahmed and, and Miles Gaskin who are who are doing great things right now in Miami. Um you know that that's a talented group. And for them to underperform the way that they did, you're right. There was a lot of other pieces to it, whether it's offensive line, tight ends, what have you, scheme, coaching, all philosophy, all that stuff. But you know, they've got to be able to make guys miss, period. I mean if things are breaking down, that's where the best running backs make the most happen. And those guys just couldn't do it. And I don't know why. And so I'm wondering how motivated that group is, the returning guys, outside of obviously Aaron Dumas, who we'll talk about. 
But, you know, when you talk about Newton, Cam Davis, you know, all the redshirt freshmen like Javion uh, Sunday, uh, Mecca Megua, Caleb Berry, Sam Adams, you know, miss Sam Adams, the enigma. Is he going to stay at running back? Is he going to move the defense? What's, what's his plan? Yep. There's so many things to talk about, but I think motivation is the thing that I'm going to be looking at first and foremost when I see those guys take the field at the end of March. And Cam Davis is a guy that he's shown some flashes. I mean, he's really shown some flashes and then, he seems to be the guy that, you know, the players I talk to, that's kind of the name that comes up quite a bit where, you know, does he have the most upside of anybody in that room, Scott? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. You said you blanked out there for a second. Was it Cam Davis you were Cam talking Davis, about? Cam Davis, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I've always felt that way. I've, I've felt that way about him forever that he had the most upside, but then you watch him. And you just didn't see the shiftiness. You didn't see the explosion that you really want to see. Richard Newton has that explosiveness. I just don't know if Cam Davis does. At least I haven't seen it since he's been in a Husky uniform. JBR on Sunday was someone who ran last year in the limited reps that he got. He was a guy who put his foot in the ground and got going north-south really quick and really put his head down and and shoulder down and got some yards. That's a guy who I think – um, should be interesting. But Cam Davis, you know, he had a couple really good games. That game against Stanford where he has 99 yards and uh, um, really made some key runs there down the stretch as they were going to win that game, their last win of the season, it turned out, sadly. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, Cam Davis has that opportunity, especially this year because, uh, you know, with Richard Newton out because of the injury, he's going to get a lot of the first-team reps, at least to start, uh, partly because he understands the blocking situation. He, he probably can pick things up a little bit quicker. Um, and, and things like that. But since this is a new offense, maybe, maybe Caleb Berry, maybe, uh, um, Emeka Megwa, and maybe JV on Sunday. Maybe those guys are able to come in and do it. Maybe Sam Adams. I mean, we don't know. A lot of us think Sam Adams is going to end up changing positions, but he's still in that mix. We haven't heard about him transfer or not transferring. I'm sorry, uh, moving yet. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how all these backs do because it's, it's, it's a new offense and they're going to be asked to do some different things than they were when John Donovan was running things. Chris, with the depth that they have there, you know, and everybody thinks that room is loaded, you know, with Cam Davis, Richard Newton, JV on Sunday, Sam Adams, Caleb Berry, Emeka Megwa, you know, and everybody's really high on those. Little surprising. I mean, I raised my eyebrows. I don't know if it's surprising to you, but bringing in a transfer in Aaron Dumas. Well, I think, again, I'm getting the sense that Kalen DeBoer may see the same, the, the position the same way as Chris Peterson did in terms of you've got to have a lot of guys in this room because you never know when they get banged up. You never know when you could lose a guy for a season. You've got to have multiple guys ready to go to be that next man up, so to speak. And we we kind of saw it last year with with Newton, you know, having having difficulty staying healthy. And, and you know, they were kind of short. And, yes, they you know, they had Sean McGrew, they had Kamari Pleasant, but it, it, it just didn't feel like – they had guys that could go in and a couple guys where they could really focus on them and really have them be their bell cows and, and be the guys that they could, they, they could really count on. Um, I, I was trying to think just in, in, while you guys were talking, I was just trying to think about a situation where you would lose two seniors in Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant that played so much for Washington. And yet when you think of it looking forward, the, the, the mindset and the and, and kind of the way of thinking isn't the same 
as it was when you lost like a Savon Ahmed or a Miles Gaskin or a Bishop Sankey or a Chris Polk. You know, there just isn't that thought like they lost two seniors. How are they going to replace that production? It's more like they lost two seniors, but they've got all these other guys that have that have shown so much potential that maybe the position could even be better this year than it was last year. And obviously it should be better for all sorts of reasons. But to bring in a guy like Aaron Dumas, if you look at his pedigree, first of all, he's a guy that was offered by Fresno State. So the staff obviously knows him really, really well. Lee Marks knows him really, really well. He goes to New Mexico, and he only plays one year there. But, oh, he's New Mexico's offensive MVP in just one season. He's the first He's the first freshman to lead New Mexico in rushing in almost 20 years. Um, when you get an opportunity to pick up that kind of a guy, a guy who ran for like 6,000 yards in high school, I think you go get him and, and you feel good about it. And I think this is a situation maybe unlike Michael Penix where maybe you could pencil in a guy like Aaron Dumas because the guys below in, in the, in the group of, of players that played last year for Washington, there may not be a guy out there, especially with Richard Newton not being available for spring. Cam Davis might be the only other guy that you'd really look at and go, he could be a serious challenger for a guy like Aaron Dumas. It, it's it's very interesting to see how it's going to work out. Interesting position to keep an eye on. I think that this is one that you definitely need to keep an eye on after spring ball to see who's getting the carries, who's not getting the carries, and if there's anybody in that group that enters a transfer portal with the age of free agency that we have entered. But, uh, you know, just moving on to, you know, getting the start of spring football, you know, Scott, you did, uh, you know, the 10 players that really need to step up this spring. Um, one guy that I really agree with and one guy that kind of slid under the radar in that they lost, you know, Sam Taimani off the defensive line. And, you know, that means that uh, Tule Latula Gasanoa needs to step up. But, boy, they moved a guy over to the defensive line with some bulk, which they definitely needed with MJ Allé. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the fact that MJ Allé moved and, um, it was somebody looking at the video from the defensive line room, um, wishing, wasn't it, weren't they wishing Greg, uh, Gaines, uh, to have a good Super Bowl? And that's the only reason why we know? Maybe. Am, am I wrong <laughs> Maybe, with that? I I, somebody watched it on our board and said, Hey, is that MJ Ole in there? And then we did some digging and so did some of the other guys and, and found out that yes, he indeed has moved. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have, um, uh, Thule as the guy who needs to step up in, in my article. And part of that's just because he's the most talented, most experienced guy on the team or not on the team on the roster right now in that position group. I think Fa'atui Tuitele could be that guy too. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, Thule needs to really step up and, 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 and take that next step, maybe even two steps where he can get more pressure on the quarterback and be more of a run stopper. But as far as MJ Ale, Kim, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, the kid has the bulk and the size and everything you want. Now, I'm just interested to see if he can learn the technique necessary to be the guy that they want in that middle of that defense. I mean, he's going to be a guy who's really tough. We we saw what Washington looked like when they had really good interior players. They were almost impossible to run on. Well, the last couple of years, Washington has been kind of a sieve against the running game at times. And and uh, that just can't happen. If you're going to win games, especially in, in college football nowadays, you got to stop the run. Giving up, you know, 200 yards in the pass or 250 yards in the passing game 
you can kind of live with that because more often than not, you're, the ball's in the air and you're, you're able, if you have good defensive backs, which Washington does, you can make plays. But if you're getting run on, just, it, it is, it just takes the will out of everybody watching the game out of the entire team. And, and so MJ Ali could be a huge key for this defense. I think he's going to take a little bit of time to learn all the things he needs to learn, but he's got a lot of natural skills that you're looking for at that uh, nose guard spot. And Chris, when we stay over on the defensive side of the ball, we've got those interior guys. But, uh, you know, we heard a lot of hype last year with uh, Braylon Trice, and I think this is the time for him to really, really step up and show what he can do. There's no doubt. I mean, he, his time is now. I mean, I think all Washington fans will fully remember, um, you know, <laughs> when um, – Oh God, who was it? Keiko Malloy made the comment that, that Braylon Trice was on the same track as Joe Tryon. And we have obviously haven't seen that quite yet, but, um, that really pricked up some ears in the media for sure when he said that. And so there's no question he's got that potential. The coaches see it. Now, whether, you know, Eric Schmidt is going to be the guy that sees it, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, that he's going to be the one that's going to be the judge of that. And, and we'll find out, but you're finally, you're still, you're kind of getting your full compliment back. When you get ZTF back, Jeremiah Martin is coming back. You get Savelle Smalls. Yes, they do obviously lose Ryan Bowman at graduation. Cooper McDonald, you know, obviously a unique situation where he can play with his brother at San Diego State. So I get that, but you know, you bring back Jordan Lolohea, you know, you're bringing Maurice Himes is coming through now. You got Lance Holdsclaw, which I think is going to be really interesting to see how he fits in because he's like 40 or 50 pounds lighter than the next guy in his room. Um, I, yeah, I just don't know that that's such a unique deal to me. I'm just wondering if he, he comes out of the, the locker room in spring and all of a sudden people find out, Oh yeah, no, he's not 201. He's actually 231 or yeah. whatever it is. That that's, that's going to be of interest to me, but Brendan tries going back to him. You know, he's got a chance. He's got a chance to do something special this year. And, and I think there's a lot of lease on life, like new leases on life for some of these guys. Um, and he certainly is, is one of those guys that could easily take advantage of it if given the right situation. Scott, when I was on the sidelines last year, uh, pregame and talking to one of the NFL scouts, I asked him who he was looking at and he's just all Washington defensive backs. You know, with Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie and also obviously, you know, uh, Riley Hyde, uh, <laughs> Bradley. Why am I screwing that up? Bookie, uh, Bradley Hiles. Yeah, Bradley Hiles. Book, yep. Bookie. And he looks at me and he goes, who's next? And I, and I pointed over and I said, that guy. And I pointed at Jacoby Covington. Is mm-hmm. he next? Um, that's who I had for my corners. Definitely. Um, you know, I, He's a guy that is just so special, uh, covering guys and he's got that length you're looking for. I mean, the reason he didn't make the impact we all thought he might make last year was because Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie are that good. And, uh, Michelle Powell played really well in spring ball and in fall camp. And so he earned himself a scholarship, but also a spot in the rotation. And then with Radley Hiles, they could put him over, over the slot too. And so that's why they, he didn't get as many reps as maybe you would think. So this year, I think he's the odds on favorite to be your starter at one of the corner spots. And, uh, Jordan Perryman, the guy they got out of, um, out of, uh, UC Davis, 
um, as a grad transfer. I think both of those guys are probably your odds-on favorite to be your starters at corner. And uh, those guys can both be pretty special um, on those edges and, and at those corners. So, um, yeah, Covington needs to be that guy, that guy, step up and be that guy because he's got the talent. He's got the coaching. You know, I had heard some rumors that he was going to be in wait and see mode, but from everything I've heard, he's really bought into things and, and, uh, the coaches really like where he's at, where his head is at and everything like that. So we'll have to see, but yeah, he's a guy who definitely needs to take that step up. And one of the things that really needs to happen on the, on the defensive side of the ball, they haven't had a thumper in a while. You know, that guy that, like uh, Zeke Turner, who can come up and just kind of intimidate and just really be physical, but they may have that guy in Dominique Campton. Yeah, I mean, Dom is a guy who I think would prefer to play corner, and so we'll we'll have to see how much he buys into all that with the staff and everything. But, uh, yeah, I think he's a perfect fit at the Husky spot in Washington's new defense. Kalen DeBoer has said as much. Um, that, that's a guy that you kind of talk about and look at in the body style and what he, in the way he's able to play and move and what he can do and his skills. He's the guy who fits that Husky spot perfectly. So that's, that's a guy who's kind of the hybrid strong safety, um, slot corner guy and can do a lot of different things in your defense. And, and I think Dom Hampton could be that guy. I, you know, these guys who are stuck on one position, what they don't seem to understand is you could be a star at that other spot and earn yourself a, a, a birth in the NFL, you know, earn yourself a spot in the NFL. Whereas you can go out here and play and be okay. You can be good, but are you going to be special? You can be special at this other position. And I really think if, if he gets his mindset right, and I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying, I, I don't know if he's got of the mindset yet that this is where I want to play. But if he gets his mind right and says, Hey, this is where I want to play. Um, he could be pretty darn special. And I mean, it, in this defense and with his skill set, if he stays healthy, I'm not saying he will be, but he could be first team all pack 12 and he could put himself in a spot to be a defensive player of the year with what he has in his athleticism and size and, and, and football IQ. You'd really like to see it. And if he stepped up and did that and Washington had the defensive player of the year, that would be nothing but good for the Husky defense. Chris, Daniel Himuli was a guy that was highly touted coming out of high school, and boy, it's just wide open for him to come in and take a job right now. Uh, I think it's going to be real important for him to step up. Oh, for sure it will. Yeah, absolutely. When when you lose Jackson Sermon, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, people are polarized on Jackson Sermon. I get it, but when you when you lose that guy, and and you know, and and um, you know, you hope that that Ulufosio is back and and is ready to go and is fully, fully healthy and all that stuff. You still need those other guys to step up and be those next guys up, whether it's a, hey, Mooley or an Alfonso Tupatala or, uh, Carson Bruner, you know, some of these guys, you know, they have to be, you know, that's like a Demario King now coming in. Um, you know, where is he going to fit in? I mean, he's listed as a linebacker. So we'll see what happens. Cam Bright coming in from Pittsburgh, you know, how big of an inclusion is he going to be? Uh, in terms of shoring up some of that depth. But you're right. Daniel Hamuli is a guy that it, it, we've been waiting. It feels like for years for the light to go on for him. And, 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 and hopefully William Inge is the guy, the coach that can, that can get that light on for him because he really needs to step up and, and start playing like the, the guy that he was touted out of high school and getting offers from the SEC and all these other programs, uh, because he's got it in him. I mean, I saw it at the Polynesian Bowl. 
And, uh, boy, he looked really, really good when he was MVP there. So, uh, he's got an opportunity. It just, hopefully that'll click for him at some point. And, and as soon as the sooner it happens, the better for him. I had a chance to talk to Zion, uh, ZTF last week, and I asked him to give me a guy on offense that uh, we really need to keep an eye on. He didn't hesitate. Devin Culp. Yeah. No, Devin Culp is a guy that needs to step up, especially Kate Otten now going to the NFL. Um, you know, you've got guys that, 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 you know, Jack Westover is such a, a, a big uh, inclusion into this offense. So when, when he's, when he wasn't around last year, you could tell they suffered a little bit. They just didn't have that depth and, and rolling those guys in. So, uh, losing Mark Redman to the transfer portal, you know, that was, a, I don't know if that was a bit of a shock or not, but that does, uh, hurt the depth a little bit. So you've, you've got to have those guys step up that, that have been there on the fringes. And there is no doubt that Devin Culp's been right there, ready to go. And it feels like it's been, it was kind of like that fingertip pass that he dropped. Was it against Utah in the fourth quarter or the fourth down where he had the chance yeah. to play? Yep. And it just, you know, was one of those things where it's been so close. It's been right within his grasp. And then all of a sudden it just has not been able to, to really fully uh, make the play and, 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 you know, kind of, you know, f- you know, fill the hype as it were, you know, and, and this year's got to be the year for him. And I, and I think he, he understands that. I think he, he appreciates that he's right there as the, the tight end number one with Westover. Um, you know, because you've got the, the guys behind him, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, Quinn Moore, you're looking at, um, you know, Caden Jumper, Mason West. I mean, I haven't seen much of them so far yet. Um, so we'll see what happens with those guys, but there's no doubt that, that, that right now it's got to be Devin Culp. It's got to be Jack Westover. They've really got to lead the line for that, for that tight end room. And it's got another position that's really going to be interesting is that, uh, left tackle spot. If, uh, Jackson Kirkland comes back, I think he's got that cemented down. If he doesn't come back, you know, Troy Fautanu is going to be one of the leading candidates over there. But, you know, with that being said, left tackle, right tackle, you know, with two left-handed quarterbacks, it possibly could be your starter. Will that right tackle position be the most important? I, Can Troy Fautanu flip over to right tackle? Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned that when we were talking about the quarterbacks, it, how things are going to – could possibly change. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how the whole thing goes. But – um, as far as, you know, Jackson Kirkland, I'm, I'm going off of the assumption that he is not going to be back. De- well, he's definitely not going to be back for spring ball, but, um, not going to be back. Not, not because I think it's a bad, um, he's got a bad chance of that. I think he's actually got a decent chance of doing that, but, um, you know, you just, you can't count your chickens till they're hatched. You know, I hate to be Mr. Cliche Chuck Knox guy, but, um, you know, you got to really figure it out. And I think even if he does come back, Kim, I would, I would debate you a little bit. I think with MJ Ale moving over to defense, I think that left guard spot is wide open. And I think Jackson Kirkland is much better guard than he is a tackle. I don't think he was terrible at tackle. I just, I, I didn't see him maxing out his talent. And I see a guy like Troy Fautanu, even though he's only, I say only 6'4", but even though he's only 6'4", you prefer him in the 6'5 to 6'7 range at, at, uh, left tackle. He's got those long arms that make it really hard to get by him. He played really well against Washington State. I think his grade uh, against Washington State was pretty good. Um, if you go to PFF, and um, yeah, he's got a he's got that mentality that a lot of the coaches love. Scott Huff uh, loved him coming out of high school. 
Um, was really excited that he was able to get him in the fold. And I think he's a guy who could really um, solidify that left tackle spot for the next couple, two, three, possibly even three years. So um, what will be real interesting is Roger Rosengarten has also gotten a lot of time at left tackle. And is he going to be a guy that that is able to take over that left tackle spot? Maybe Troy Fautano moves inside, where I think he could also be really good. He played – he started one game, I think, at, at right guard and two games at left guard, or it might have been two at left guard and one at left tackle. I don't remember where it was for Troy uh, Fautano, but he's played guard. He's done pretty well at those spots too. So, man, the the offensive line, as solidified as it seemed to be last year when we entered spring ball, it is the complete opposite this year. I don't think anything is solidified at all. And the good thing and the good news is Scott Huff kind of knows where things are going. And with Ryan Grubb having that offensive line background like he has and being a very good offensive line coach, I think the two of them could really make that group into something pretty special. Hey, uh, real quick, real quick, Kim. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw some some more mud in the mix, Scott, on this. You know, what if Jackson Kirkland does come back? And they find out fairly early on that he is going to come back, but he is getting a lot of signals from the NFL that they want to see what he can do inside. Like you, you mentioned it. I mean, what, what happens if the NFL is saying you're, you know, we, we love you. We love your athleticism. We love your nasty. We love everything else, but we honestly think your future as a professional is inside. Do you now start to prepare guys like Fautanu, Rosengarten? You know, to, to, to be your, your left tackle of the future, even when Jackson Kirkland comes back. Yeah. And then, yeah. By extension, does that mean now you start bringing in, do you, you know, do, is Julius Bulow going to be your left guard for spring full time? You uh, know, well, yeah. Yeah. Do you well, bring the, in, the, do you, do you, do you, do you add guard Memelar to the mix? Do you add Miles Morale to the mix? There's so Garen many Hatchet, possibilities yeah. and yeah. it goes to what you were saying. Yeah, and, and, well, I mean, we've heard that Julius Bulow has been moved back out to right tackle. Um, so that might take him out of the mix for that, but who knows? I mean, he's played there before and everything like that. He didn't play great, but maybe that was just because he was trying to learn on the fly and everything like that. So I don't know, but, uh, and, and Nate Kalepo is another one. He's kind of the forgotten yep. man. I mean, he was a big time kid coming out of high school. So yeah, Chris, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, the, the left tackle, what they end up doing, let's say Jackson Kirkland comes back, what they, I think he's going to be the one who makes everybody else, where, if they say he's our left tackle, then everybody else is fighting for the other four spots. If they say he's our left guard, now everybody, whatever spot he ends up at, that, I think he's a starter, wherever he ends up at. Can Henry Bainabalu remain healthy all year? Okay. One of the reasons he was ready to graduate and just call it a, a career was because of a knee issue. Well, He's gone through some stuff this, this spring, this offseason that makes him think that he can come back and play one more season for the Huskies. So those could be your right and left guard. But what if Henry Bainavalu gets hurt? Then you're, you know, you got maybe Jackson going back to where he started, which was a right guard. And now you got to figure, you know, there's just so many moving parts when it comes to offensive line. Last year, we pretty much knew who, what, what that group was going to be, what it was going to look like coming into spring ball this year. No clue. Quick word from our sponsors, and when we return, we will talk a little bit about hoops and Scott Eklund recruiting on the road this weekend. So that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We are back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Big win for the Hoops team in their last game. They defeat Oregon but with a score of 78 to 67. They were up by as many as 23. Oregon's just been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde this year. But, uh, you know, Chris, anytime you beat Oregon in anything, it's a, it's a good win. Well, yes, especially since Oregon had won the six, you know, six meetings before that and 12, I think out of the last 13. So that the wins have been far and few between. So that to be able to do it and not, and not just do it, but do it in the way that they did where they were able to get up by as many as 23 a couple different times. Um, really a dominant stretch and you knew Oregon was going to put in a run or two and for them to kind of put that on, on ice, um, pretty reasonably. They never lost or they never, uh, dropped down into single digits in terms of their lead in the second half. Uh, it was pretty strong. You know, they finished on a 13-3 note to end the first half, and then I think they started 14-2 to start the second half. That's the way you want to do it. If you're Mike Hopkins, you want, you want them to finish a half strong and start the second half even stronger. And for them to do that, obviously they're going to gain a world of confidence. Uh, trying to finish this final game um, on Saturday against uh, Oregon State to finish it out on senior night. And to be able to do that without Dejon Davis, and I know the people just look at the box score and they see that Dejon isn't scoring a lot, but, boy, he's like a safety blanket, uh, you know, security blanket for Mike Hopkins because he just does so many little things that don't show up in the scoreboard. In addition, with Dejon out there, Dejon can run the point, and that gives Terrell a lot more room to run around as a two. It makes a big impact. He's one of the elite uh, defensive players in the conference. Uh, you know, it's funny because Mike Hopkins, you know, in the Washington State game, was saying talking about you know uh during a timeout call some plays and Dejan goes I got this and Dejan was calling the plays because that's how well he knows what's going on out there and to miss a guy like that and to you know just pretty much smack Oregon you know who's got a lot of talent on that team I thought it was one of the most impressive wins that I've seen Washington in a long time yeah and I think the the biggest thing for me was was the ability of Nate Roberts to kind of neutralize um, uh, Dante and, uh, Kepnang inside. I mean, really, you would have thought that the, the game was really going to hinge on the foul, you know, whether or not Roberts could stay out of foul trouble. And the irony is he fouled out with like six minutes left, but he had already gotten 18 points and 16 rebounds by then. Yeah. And so he, even though he fouled out and he fouled out fairly early in the game, the fouls came late. You know what I mean? So it's like when, when in the crunch time, when it really, really in the moments that mattered at the end of the first half, beginning of the second half, where he was really, really dominant, he completely neutralized all two of those. Now, Dante, I think, got hurt. I don't think he played much in the second half at all. But um, for him to, to really neutralize uh, Kepnang and, and really kind of keep the whole middle, for some reason, Oregon just did not want to try to, to, to exploit the middle of that zone uh, when Washington was going to go zone, which was quite a bit actually. Until, um, until Nate fouled out, fouled out. And then they just kept on well, taking it to the hole. Yeah. Right. Well, then they had to, well, they had to go small. 
um, they Washington went small because they only played seven players um, on uh, on Thursday night. So they, you know, they did not play Jackson Grant. Obviously, like you said, Dejon Davis was out. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't really play. They didn't play Sorn uh, really all that much at all. Um, so it's just, you know, it was just one of those things where uh, they just went lean and mean. And when Roberts fouled out, they went small. They understood that all they needed to do because they Oregon was in big foul trouble by then. So and and Washington ended up with an 11 point advantage at the foul line, and that ended up being the difference in the game. That was the margin of the game. So Emmett, Matt, um, Emmett Matthews with a quiet 25 and six. I mean, I was kind of surprised when I looked up and saw he had 25. Yeah, and he was getting a lot of feeds, but then he hit a couple key threes. That one dagger three at the end, where it was the kind of the typical, you know, Hopkins going no, 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 no. oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you know, one of those classic moments, and then. um you know, and and, it, and like I said, it wasn't like a fantastic shooting night for Washington. It wasn't like they lift lift the cover off the the hoop or anything. I mean, they were four of nineteen from three. I mean, shooting twenty percent, twenty one percent, but they were forty six percent from the field. You know, uh, Terrell Brown, you know, made his money uh, inside as he always does, but he was eleven to thirteen from the line, which is invaluable in those crunch moments because there was sometimes in the second half when Oregon was making their runs, Kim where the only points that Washington was getting was from Terrell Brown at the foul line. And then, like you said, Terrell, you know, Emmett Matthews with his 25, but five of six from the line, huge. For those guys to go 16 and 19, um, you know, when they need to kind of keep the keep the pedal down and keep going instead of giving up a little bit of a lead, you know, that was big. We've been doing this for 20-plus years, Chris. This is probably one of my favorite teams. It's not the most talented team, but um, – all of the guys on this team, they're likable guys. They don't quit. They play hard. And your running joke, you know, before the season was, you know, they were picked to finish 13th in the Pac-12. And, you know, I just kept on shaking my head. I don't think so. It took a while for this team to get going. They got on a little bit of a, you know, figuring things out. And then they kind of got ravaged by COVID for a month without playing, without being able to practice. Jackson Grant losing 15 pounds, you know, with getting sick with COVID. But uh, for them to come off of, you know, the disaster of last year and the disaster of the year before, for them to come back and win 10 conference games, I don't think many people saw that, Chris. Well, and they have a very good chance of winning 11 conference games, which, um, is only going to be, is going to be the second best, uh, in the Mike Hopkins era. You know, there was the one year when they won the conference when they went 15 and three. And now to win 11 games with this group is, is amazing. Uh, considering, like you said, that's the running joke, but the, but the reality is the media picked them 11th and Hopkins said Thursday night, he said that, you know, I remember that day. Like it was yesterday, he said that, you know, that's a brain tattoo for me. Everyone remembers that. Everyone was motivated by that. So for them to end up, most likely, they're going to probably end up sixth. And to be in the top half of the league and to win 10, 11 games, you know, the worst case, they're going to be 500. And what would have been the odds if you had said at the beginning of the conference play that Washington would go 10 and 10? What kind of odds do you think you would have gotten on that? 20 to 1, 30 to 1. Yeah. I mean, no one would have predicted that. So they've overachieved. There's no doubt they overachieved. But to me, what it has done is it's created the floor for Washington's expectations moving forward. Guys like Terrell Brown, Dejon Davis, Emmett Matthews, PJ Fuller, uh, Cole Badgemo, all the local guys, 
they've established the culture now. They've reestablished it. They've brought it back. This is this should be the floor. 500 in conference should be the the expectation at a minimum, and then you move from there. So what they do next year is obviously going to be the thing that not only spells the tale for Washington moving forward, but obviously spells the fu- the immediate future of Mike Hopkins and whether he uh, stays on or whether they have to move on from him. I know, you know, after every loss, you know, um, whether it's football or basketball, it just seems like there's a handful of fans that want to fire the coach, fire the coordinators, you know, uh, replace the starters. But, uh, you know, this Mike Hopkins um you know, the fan club in December was not very large with a lot of people just jumping ship on them. But, uh, I think Mike Hopkins has proven that, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's a good coach. Um, and he will return next year. And we've been saying that all year. He will return next year. So off season is definitely going to be interesting. And, you know, we'll talk about that later on another podcast, but, uh, you know, senior night against Oregon state senior day, uh, it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be real emotional specifically for a couple of guys, you know, Terrell Brown, who's just been through hell and back to get to where he is. And, you know, you can't help root for a guy who's worked that hard and taken the path he's taken and to finally wind up back home. And without a doubt, he's going to be first team all conference. So really happy for Terrell. And I'm sure he'll shed a tear, uh, you know, uh, against Oregon State in the pregame ceremonies. Nate Roberts is expected to walk. Well, he will be walking coming out on senior night, but I think he's left the door open a little bit that he possibly could return next year. We'll see. Jamal Bay is another guy who we expect to uh, walk on senior uh, senior night, but uh, there's a possibility he could return as well. But, you know, to all the fans, I recommend you get there early. Um, it'll truly be uh, something that's pretty cool. And for those who are going to the game, I'm just going to make a recommendation. If you're taking your kids to the game, uh, you know, against Oregon State, these are – a fantastic group of kids. They really are. This, these are some of my favorite kids that I've uh, I've covered, you know, in the 20-plus years that I've been doing this. Wait for traffic to clear. Don't go out and try to get out of the parking lot. Take your kids down on the floor. Wait for traffic to clear because between 20 and 30 minutes after the game, these players will come out on the floor and they will mingle with their family. And if you take a Sharpie and something to sign, these kids will stay all night long and sign for the kids. They really enjoy it because I think sometimes fans fail to realize these guys aren't that far away from just being kids themselves. And they really enjoy that interaction, and it's something that makes them smile. So if you're going to the game, take your kids, wait for traffic, go down to the floor, Bring a Sharpie. You know, I used to do it with my yeah, my boys. They used to, you know, hang out and wait for me after practice, and they'd have a T-shirt and a Sharpie, and these guys would, would sign them all day long. So uh, it's a pretty cool thing. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for something cool to do on Saturday. Also, um, uh, you know, just uh, there's tickets available. There are tickets available. So uh, we'll look forward to more hoops against Oregon State. And it, more than likely, it looks like they're going to be a six seed. There would be, have to be a lot of things happen for them not to be in the six seed in the tournament so um and we've got the schedule up on the front page of the site you could take a look and see but uh it looks like if they are indeed the sixth seed uh the first game's at 8 30 if they win the next game's at 8 30 and if they win that the next game's at 8 30 as well so uh I think they're, they're pretty much i think they're pretty much guaranteed the sixth if they win and if other yeah. factors play out they could even move higher 
But right. I think they would be no worse than sixth if they win. Yeah. It just seems like every time I go to Vegas, Chris, it's that eight thirty game every every year. Every year. So that's sure. just when Vegas is waking up, Kim. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember the one time it was just, you know, because I don't like Vegas a lot and cemented it, you know, when they had it at the MGM. It was an 8.30 game, and I got out of there about 11.30, 11.45, and I just stopped at the first bar on the way out to grab a beer, and the guy was kind of busy and asked what they had on tap. He goes, we just got bottles. I said, what do you got? And he goes, well, what do you want? And I said, well, just give me a Corona. Then he go walks away, and he comes back, and he just slams it on the counter. And he goes, 12 bucks, and I'm going, and you're going to be rude. You know, so, hey Scott, uh, Kim's going to Vegas. Do we feel bad for him? Yeah, not really. No. Uh, I always say it's where guys go to act stupid and women go to wear things they have no business wearing. But uh, that's a whole other story. But really, Kim, are we really going there, Scott? Well, you're going. You're 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 heading out of I'm town. I'm not going anywhere. You're on the road this weekend. I am. Scott I'm not Eckler. going anywhere that's going to be fun. I'm going to L.A. <laughs> I hate L.A. <laughs> Yeah, tell people what's going on uh, with you going to L.A. and maybe update on recruiting a little bit. Yeah, the big reason I go to L.A. this time of year is to go to watch football camps. And this one is the Under Armour uh, next something, whatever they call it. But it's the Under Armour camp down in uh, Los Angeles, actually at Mission Viejo High School, um, flying out a little later today, um, and which is my birthday, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, so birthday. everybody – Thank you. Everybody wish me happy birthday. Happy fifty um, fifth. No, not fifty fifth. Fifty first. Don't age me, please. So, uh, yeah, fifty fifty one years ago on March fifth, born, uh, and actually I'm flying out moments after I would have been born. So, anyway, that's enough of that. Um, heading down there, uh, gonna spend some time, uh, meeting up with some people down there on Saturday night, and then Sunday be out at the camp all day at Mission Viejo High School, hoping to have. Minimum five, but up to ten different articles for you guys. Some of them uh, analysis. Some of it will be uh, stuff where um, I'll be talking to recruits. Some of it will be just like a recruiting notebook where just little insider tip, tidbits that I can get for you guys. I'll see what I can do. That might just be my blog for Monday morning, but whatever. Um, and then and then uh, um, on Sunday during the camp, I'll have like a live thread going with a link on the front page of the site um just talking just where you guys can go to see my observations from the camp and everything like that so um yeah uh lots of kids gonna be there um i've counted they sent me a list of the guys who've already signed up and there's close to 200 and um some of the names on there are guys that um you know i think some people are still just kind of getting into the 2023 recruiting cycle but um i don't know how to pronounce his name but his name is collins at, at, at Chimpong, uh, he's a kid from Ghana and, uh, that Washington offered 67230, uh, that Washington offered 2023 kid. Um, there are, uh, just a lot of kids that Washington is after, at least are on their radar that I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, Malachi Crawford, a defensive back out of Pacifica is one to keep an eye on, uh, that he's going to be there. Ezra Funa is another one out of modern day. Um, so lots of kids that I'll be talking about, looking at, uh, getting some ideas about, maybe just giving you guys a scouting report on them, how they performed. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of it for me this weekend. As far as the rest of the month, I mean, we've already reported on three guys who have visited that are local kids that have visited the University of Washington in, um, Jason Brown, the running back, 2024 running back out of O'Day. 
uh, Jabari Johnson, the quarterback, the 2023 quarterback out of, uh, Lincoln and also, uh, Caleb Presley, the 2023, uh, defensive back out of Rainier Beach. Those guys were all on campus this week. All of them are four stars or better. And, uh, you guys definitely want to keep an eye out because we're having as many guys as we can that we're going to get a hold of and, and talk to. And everybody so far is raving about this new staff and the way they're recruiting, especially the local kids. Anything else we need to know on recruiting, Scott? No, I, I've said it before. I think it's going to be a little while before you start seeing guys really jump in the boat with this. I think a lot of guys are in let it, you know, kind of see how things play out for this team and, and what they look like and all that kind of stuff. The problem is Washington isn't really going to be able to show what they're going to look like until early September. So um, it's going to be a real sales job by these coaches to get guys in earlier than that. I think Michael McDonald, the linebacker out of Garfield, is probably the guy that to keep an eye on. I think he could commit here in the next few weeks, maybe during spring ball in, in April. But uh, I don't think anyone's leaning toward committing to the University of Washington at this point from out of state or even in state because they really want to see these coaches. They want to talk to them. They want to be coached by them. They want to see them, and that's in, that would be in June, uh, at their camp. They, they want to see these coaches up close and personal before they really uh, start to pull the trigger on Washington, and I think that'll have to be summer. I think by the time the season starts, you can see five, six, maybe seven guys committed, but – I think a bulk of the class, because they're going to take 17, 18 guys, I think the bulk of the class is going to be in uh, either the fall or after fall into you know December and possibly even some guys who may wait into uh, January. So it's kind of the way I think things are going to fall. We'll have to see how it all plays out, though. Anything last minute before we wrap it up, Scott? Nope. Nope, not for me, man. Just uh, check the recruiting board tomorrow during uh, the – during the camp, which starts, I think it's nine o'clock, goes nine to three roughly in that range. So, um, I'll be updating throughout the day, different guys I see and different guys I like. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it for me. Anything to wrap it up, Chris Fetters? Uh, no, I'm good. Uh, it's been a long podcast, so we need to wrap this up. Yeah, we do. Anyways, if you're looking for those uh, daily updates throughout spring football and breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, Husky Stadium G- at Try it again. HuskyStadium at gmail.com. Subject line newsletters. Again, HuskyStadium at gmail.com. We will hook you up. For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.